0: Shabbat Shalom. We are in Romans chapter 12, part 2 today. But before we jump into the text, just a reminder, if you want to um, come to Sukkot this year, um, then you need to contact info at TorahToTheTribes.com if you want to retain your spot that you had last year. Because as of Monday, they are opening up to the general public on a first-come, first-served basis. So you may lose your favorite shelter within the camp of the righteous. So, info at TorahToTheTribes.com if you want to keep that spot. And you know how we are, creatures of habit, we always like to go to the same spot, don't we? All right, Romans chapter 12, part 2. You may remember in part one, we were admonished. I didn't get very far, only got into about seven verses. But we were admonished to keep our individual bodies as a Kedosh temple. We were to be moving together as the corporate holy. Moving together in kedushah holiness as living sacrifices. That we covered in the first seven verses. But how on earth can you do that if you don't commit... To coming to fellowship, coming into fellowship, coming to the Sabbaths, coming to the feasts. How are you going to do that if you're an isolationist? So we encourage people to fellowship, make connections, whether it's online. And all of the uh, avenues that we have online now with our Fellowship Finder and various Sukkot sites and feast sites around the nation. But you've got to come together. And I know for some people that's a stretch. It gets you out of your comfort zone. But that's where we really develop and grow when we're in the community bustling against one another. But now as we move into this part of the letter Chapter 12 and 13, of course there weren't chapters, this was a letter to the Romans. What we're going to find in this section of the letter, chapter 12 and 13 in particular, a few um, verses within chapter 14 you're going to see that paul now he's going to draw back the hearts of the believers back to yahushua at the mountain he's going to draw them back to yahushua and you're going to see some parallels right now in these verses between what yahushua spoke at the sermon on the mount and what paul is communicating so it's a long letter now we're taking a pause and he's capturing the believers hearts and he's remembering The only reason anybody's here is because their heart has been captured by Yahushua. And the place that Yahushua captured the people's heart in such a profound way was taking the Torah and bringing it forward into the reality of Yahushua. And that happened when he addressed them at the Sermon, the Beatitudes or the Sermon of the Mount. So let's look at that briefly just so that you can find those parallelisms within the text and then we go on a little further. So we we'll skip around a little bit. Chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Of course, Yahushua said in Luke chapter 6, verse 28. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. And then Paul goes on in the 17th verse of chapter 12. Never pay back evil to anyone. And we know now he's echoing the words of Yahushua in Matthew chapter 5 verse 39. Do not resist an evil person. Now in verse 18 of chapter 12. If possible, so far as you are able, be at peace with all men. And Yahushua said, of course, in Matthew 5 verse 9 and Mark chapter 9 verse 50, Blessed are the peacemakers. Be at peace with one another. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will inherit the kingdom of Yahuwah. So we are admonished now by Paul to return back to the heart of the son. Look at the 20th verse. Render to all what is due them tax to whom you serve as their due. And of course, Yahushua said in Mark chapter 12, verse 14, is it lawful to pay tax to Caesar or not was the question posed. And Yahushua said, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to Yahuwah those which are Yahuwah's. And we'll get into that a lot more in chapter 13, of course, because that can often be misconstrued and taken out of context. So we'll look at that a lot more in chapter 13. Now Paul goes on into chapter 13 of Romans, verse 8, and again the parallelisms here with the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 13, verse 8, for he who loves neighbor has in fact fulfilled the Torah, or as Yaakov James says, the royal law, that part of Torah which of course is covenant, the heart of fidelity and Yahushua said in Matthew chapter 22 verse 37 you shall love Yahuwah your Elohim And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two things, these two mitzvot, hang the whole of the Torah and the Nevim, the law and the prophets. And of course, that's going back to the priestly garb and the shohim on which the whole of the priestly garment would be hung upon the shohim, going back into the how we are to walk as a priest in the priesthood. Now in chapter 13, verse 9... Rav Shaliak all Rabbi Apostle Paul says, and if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, echoing Matthew chapter 7 verse 12, where Yahushua said, in all things, treat one another the same as you desire to be treated, for this is, again, the Torah And the prophets. So you can see how Paul is at this point in the letter, it's a long letter, he's drawing the heart of the hearers back to a time of change. Because when Yahushua spoke these words at the Sermon on the Mount, that's when he gathered in that multitude. But remember, there were always those on the outside, on the outskirts, looking in that were never able to connect into the community. So the draw is to come into the community because that's truly where you're going to grow as believers. Summarizing this now in the 11th verse of chapter 13, Paul says, Awake from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Isn't that an inspiring verse? That is an inspiring verse. And of course, Yahushua said in Mark 13 verse 36 and Luke chapter 21 verse 28. In case he should suddenly come, the master that is, and find you asleep, your redemption is drawing nigh near unto thee. So of course now, looking in the 14th chapter, in the 10th to 17th verse Paul draws on the parallelisms of um, Matthew's chapter 6, 7, and 18 when he talks about judging, he talks about not being a stumbling block to your brother, and he talks about the kingdom of Yahuwah. It isn't eating, it isn't drinking, but it is what? Righteousness. Of course, Yehusha spoke about these things in Matthew chapter 6, 7, and 18. So, just as we go into this section of the letter, I believe that Paul is really drawing the heart of the believer back to the Sermon on the Mount, and you can see those parallelisms. Look at verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace or unmerited favor that is given to us, whether it be prophecy, let us prophesy according to the measure of faith or some service, let us then serve, or he that teaches, then let him teach, or he that exhorts, then let him exhort, he that gives, let him do it with simplicity, he that oversees with diligence, he that shows mercy with joy, and that's something we talk about a lot here at Torah to the tribes, is not looking around for people to appoint, but literally walk in your calling, And something I learned many, many years ago in ministry when I was appointed to various eldership or ministerial roles, I would often say, oh, I'm not worthy. And someone would say, well, Matthew, you're already doing the work of such and such. We're now just putting a... Title or the position on you, but nothing's changed because you're already doing the work. So when you come into community, whatever you're called to, what your calling is, do that work, and therefore you'll find yourself walking in your calling. That's truly what ministry is about. Ministry isn't about standing around trying to be appointed, ministry is about picking up a shovel and digging a ditch. That's what ministry is. It's those that get stuck in that all of a sudden you say, oh, this person is this, because they're already doing the work. And that is truly what we're to do because it's really with simplicity that we serve, that we give, that we do the things that Yahuwah has bestowed upon us. We give back to the community. He that oversees, do it with diligence. He that shows mercy with such things, do it with joy. So you can see the corporate emphasis that Paul's putting on the Roman believers at this point in the letter. And this is what we have to struggle with in this generation. We have got to, and I've said it last week, I'll say it again, we have got to shed this post-enlightenment individualism. We have to, which is something that attached itself as a dead weight to the Christian church in the 20th century. And it was born in the Jesus movement in the 1970s, where it was all about me and my personal relationship with Christ. No, it's not. It's not. It's about the corporate body. It's always been about the corporate body. The corporate body is more important than you. It's more important than me. It's more important than your family. Because the family of Yahuwah is more important than individual families. Because when Achan hid something under his tent, the corporate family of Israel was way more important than Achan's family, wasn't it? So the individual family is sacrificed for the sake of the whole. The corporate is what's more important. Yet we've grown up in a church culture of post-enlightenment individualism. It's all about me. And that breeds false doctrine, isolation ships, and error begets error. And people end up believing in things that just aren't so. And they're left to their own devices. And it's dangerous, especially when the world is falling apart all around us. There is no more important time when we have the Sabbaths and the Feasts of Yahweh to draw together in holy, sanctified community. So we continue on now, and we see that the Torah does place far greater emphasis on the corporate identity Than the familiar or individual identity. Verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. In full sincerity. Despise that which is evil. And cleave. You know, Besar Echad, where a man would cleave to his wife and they would become one flesh? Besar Echad, and cleave to what is good. Even as believers, I see so many people that are cleaving to the world. Body image, fashion. All of these things. And they're all looking to Hollywood. And right here in the Greek, the Greek word for let love be without hypocrisy, the Greek word is hypocrite, which is where we get actors from. The word actors comes from the Greek theatrical stage where the Greek hypocrites would wear a mask on stage. Don't be like the hypocrites. But we live in a culture, even believers, where they looked to actors to models to idols for your body image for your fashion and you're walking around coming up to me and you've got a mask on and that's exactly what we're told not to do we've become so much like the world that we walk up and it's all about you know how you face you look good on the outside is your car all nicely polished is your house all in order Well, if you're going to go back to my house right now, it's a bomb. (laughs) And the car's got mud all down the side of it because we were late and we were speeding down the driveway to get here. I mean, that's really what it's like. I just got a T-shirt on. I hope it's got the wrinkles out of it. I just got up from a nap. I mean, I tried to, but you know, really, let's be real. None of us have got it all together. Let's put away the hypocrisy the mask because we're not hollywood we're not to be looking to that but how many of us are all like you know what i mean give me a break and i've caught up in that myself especially in the industry that i grew up in but i see that it is hypocrisy because the people that you really connect with you put away the masks don't you don't you And you just say, let's be real. And that's where fellowship really happens. When you can shed the tears and you can connect on a heart level. And that happens by being in community. So, let love be without being around the actors. Without being around those that would face the mask. The hypocrites in Greek drama. Despise that which is evil and instead cleave to that which is good be kind and tender to one another with brotherly love philadelphia we'll talk about philadelphia in romans chapter 13 and what happened in america in that city of brotherly love which is what we're now on the consequences of how the constitution was um enacted and we'll get into that in government next week Because that city of brotherly love is when literally they sacrifice believers for the God of the nations. And we'll see that they slew believers in Philadelphia. How ironic is that? The city of brotherly love is where they slew the Christian pilgrim tradition of this nation. And then delivered what we are now under the boot of which is martial rule. Martial rule. But that's another word for another day in another chapter. Let's continue on. We have to learn to walk in honor in the midst of the wicked setting snares for us. And that can be very humbling. That can be very humbling. Verse 11. Not idle in your duty, fervent in spirit, serving Yahweh having rejoicing in hope, be patient in tribulation, continue steadfast in prayer. Prayer is key to breaking through the strong strongholds, distributing to the necessity of the Israelite saints, and be given, be given to hospitality. You see, the believer's mindset, your mind mindset, has to be shaped by the gospel, not by the world. And not by worldly things, because this world is passing away. And the world is literally, its mind is being transformed by each and every successive generation, whatever is the fad. And we're supposed to have our mind transformed by the word of Yahweh, the gospel. And that's where the disparity is between us and the world, between us and the world. We serve an Elohim of the Red Sea moments, don't we? And that becomes more and more apparent to me the older I get, is that when you're back, you've got Pharaoh coming down, bearing down on chariots, and right before you, you've got an ocean that's impassable, and you have given up all hope, and you're there, and you've got nothing. And everyone's around you bickering, saying, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do with your great faith now? That is, that is when Yahweh comes to the rescue, isn't it? Right at the last minute when you don't have anything left. That has happened so many times in my life now that almost I go through periods and it's just unbelievable. I had a consultant come into my business the other day and they were like, wow, you are a risk taker. I said, oh yeah, but it has made me sit to my stomach. They're like, oh yeah, you should have waited until you had half a million in the bank to do this. You did all of this. I'm like, oh yeah. I mean, I have been right up to the line and over the line every month. These Red Sea moments where I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't. He's like, oh wow. Just I was, I was like, oh, oh, well, okay. Kind of gave me some hope. <laughs> But, you know, we serve that kind of Elohim, but when we're right, pressed up to the line, there's nothing we can do but get down on our knees. Amen. Get, and that's where he wants us, in everything in our life, everything in our life. We have to be patient, because guess what? What happened after the Red Sea? You and I get to sing the song of Moses. We, when we get through the other side, we get to sing the song of Moses, and that's the witness that was the witness to this consultant that came in. The only reason, well, how did you, you want to know how I did that? It's not because I'm crazy. It's because I've got great faith and I just continue to push through. And I could never have done this if I wasn't a believer. There is no way I could have come through this kind of stress and tension without literally being on my knees and having people, you guys, pray for me and others pray for you. That is the life of faith because Yahweh answers our prayers when we least expect it. But, you know, those answered prayers, they doesn't mean that we get through the whole situation unscathed. I mean, I've shed a lot of skin And that doesn't mean I'm a reptilian or anything. I don't want any people commented on Facebook. You know, you've got to be careful. But there is always consequences to be paid, is there not? Consequences to be paid. So Paul, at this portion in the letter, he is hoping to unify the believers in Rome, both ethically and religiously. Because remember, he's trying to foster a spirit of unity because... What's happened is these Jewish believers are returning down from Jerusalem after the edict of Claudius and they're now having to co-mingle, co-labor with the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And you know what? There's some problems. There's some real disparity between the two houses of Israel which is an ancient problem, is it not? Since the time of David and Solomon and Jeroboam. So, this isn't something new. He's having to deal with an ancient problem that has now been reawakened because of the gathering hand of Yahusha. The Jews at this point, they're the minority. They are the minority with their Judaic traditions. They're bringing in their Judaic traditions. Whereas the Israelites, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, they're the majority and they're the ones with that awakened messianic zeal kind of like us you know a lot of zeal and sometimes we got to temper that zeal because those within the traditions you're like yeah you know get me zealous about purim and hanukkah you know being when somebody starts to bring those jewish traditions in and there can be some disparity and this is what he was dealing with look at verse 14 Bless them who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. And weep. Weep. Weep with those who weep. And this is really important. And I've counseled people on this for years. Because I have seen it in my life. And I have seen it in so many individuals. You have to be very, very careful that you make sure that you set the time aside to join one another in times of tragedy and in times of triumph. In times of tragedy and in times of triumph. Because what you do, there are dolmens or there are boundary stone markers in life. That what you do at those boundary stone marker times or what you don't do, people will always remember, and they'll never get over it. No matter what kind of relationship you think you have, if you do the wrong thing in a dolman moment, people can't get over it. And it can go down to the generations. So you oftentimes will have to sacrifice yourself for a family or community when it comes to a dolmen or a pillar moment. What I mean by that is what you do or you don't do around funerals, when somebody's sick in the hospital, at a marriage, somebody's union, will have consequences. It will have consequences that will last a lifetime. A lifetime. There are lives, these particular things that I mentioned, particularly funerals, when someone's on their sick bed, and marriages, these are the trigger columns in life. And what you do or don't do around those situations has huge ramifications. Births is another one of them. Because these are, in fact, corporate events. These are not Individual tributes. And you get all caught up in your own self because you got raised in a post individualistic culture with that whole post individual enlightenment. And you think that it's about you. No, these are corporate events. They're not about you. It might be you're doing something, but it's not about you. And if you think it's about you, then you've made an error that's going to go to the successive generations. So you have got to get over that because I have seen deep wounds. Deep wounds. I remember a time where a family, um, there was somebody had died and one of the brothers lived in South Africa and hey, he couldn't get back to the funeral. The brothers and the sisters, they never ever got over the fact. He was always the brother that missed the funeral because he was too busy with his business in South Africa to come back. So... You have to be careful around those times because they're trigger dolman moments. Look at verse 16. Be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not prideful things or don't set your mind on high towers or high places. So as believers, this can be anything. To him who knows it is sin, it is sin. There's certain things in the Torah we know are sin, but there's certain things in each and every one of us that we have been personally delivered from. And we have to be careful that we don't make something a high place or a high tower. Somebody that's always rushing home for a Chardonnay after work every single night and is banging them back Is that a high place? Is that a high tower? Somebody who has to go and play on the poker machines right after work. Every single night. Is that a high... Have you made that a high place in your mind? Have you made that a high tower? I don't know. Ask the question. But anything that you have to do every single day, unless it's dedication to fasting and praying... Is it a high place? Is it a tower? You have to ask those questions. If you're not asking those questions, you're asleep at the wheel. What is it that you have to do every single day? That you just, there's a piece of your heart that is given to that place. Whatever that is, that's a high place. That's a high tower. And you've got to rethink it. you got to rethink it. It could be that you have to have A Coke with each of your meals because you just jacked up on that. Well, you know, maybe you need to get rid of that because you're going to have diabetes and die. And Father doesn't want that. (laughs) All right? Let's be real. I just cut right to the point, don't I? (laughs) Someone's like, man, I'm just having a soda. Give me a break have you seen what that stuff will do to a battery i went to led schwab one time and had a problem with my my battery and they like they didn't have the size in and the guy's like hang on a minute goes to his lunch sack gets out a coke and just pours it all over my battery starts med- you say, oh you'll be good to go you'll get to bend just deal with it when you get to bend i'm like great thanks a lot what was that <laughs> oh it was coke oh my goodness All the corrosion off of my battery. I was good for 90 miles. Wow. That's a high tower. (laughs) Verse 17. Repay to no man evil for evil. Do things honestly and the right thing in the sight of all men. Because revenge, I know you want to get it. I know I do. But, you know, revenge against others. It's unacceptable for believers. I just prayed it yesterday. Oh, Father, I pray your vengeance upon that person. I mean, I've got to be honest, I did. Two people. know tore your wrath out on them, Father. I just put it in your hands. I know that I'm not going to be wrathful and take my vengeance about them and pull up in a kidnap van and... I'm thinking all these things I could do. Oh, yeah, we could get a couple of brothers. We could get a kidnap van. Oh, man, waterboard. Oh, totally. When they're walking the dog at night, mm, I know exactly what. Father, I pray. I'm just, you know, it's a wicked man in me. But revenge against others, it's unacceptable, Matthew. It's like a Holy Spirit. Proverbs 20, verse 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait upon Yahweh, and he will save you. First Thessalonians 5.15 See that not anyone returns evil for evil to anyone. But always pursue the good thing, both towards one another and towards all. And look at verse 18 of our text. If it is possible, on your part, live in peace, in shalom with all men. Dearly beloved, revenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine and repayment, says Yahuwah. And we're believers and we're used to speaking about honor. We're used to speaking about forgiveness. But in this world... If you talk to unbelievers about mercy and forgiveness, it's like what? It's foreign. In my own family, I've seen a lack of forgiveness. In in um, my brothers have had some, um, you know, lack of forgiveness towards one another, and they've had a, a feud that's gone on for three or four years, maybe longer, and it's been like. It's hard. If you don't have that understanding of what this book talks about, then we live in a world of no mercy. No mercy. So, for us to then exemplify forgiveness and mercy is truly a what? It's a witness. It's a powerful witness in a world where people are rejected rejected so now we come to this point in the letter in verse 18 and 19 where he says dearly beloved revenge not yourselves but rather give place to wrath for it is written vengeance is mine and repayment is mine saith Yahweh." and there seems to be at this point some kind of disparity here with paul's words and yahushua's words if you catch it because yahushua says in matthew chapter 10 verse 34 and i like this one do not think that i came to give peace on earth it's my favorite verse but i come not to bring priests but a sword i like the other one where yahushua says you know last time i told you to go get a bunch of stuff but this time i'm telling you to go and get two swords That's a short sword and a long sword. That's like a a handgun and a rifle. (laughs) Right? In the modern day equivalent, Yahushua's like, go get armed. I'm like, that's why I love that verse. Get down. Every believer has to have a handgun and a long gun. That's righteousness right there. I came to divide a man against his father. This is my language. That's the old man. But, you know, this is what I fight with. Come on, is it just me? Don's like, yes. Oh, yes, it's it's just you. We have an ex-pastor sitting in the second row. That's the problem. (laughs) Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. See, I can't even get it out. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. I came to divide a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a bride against her mother-in-law. I thought that was a bridegroom against his mother-in-law. I'm sure that's a mistranslation right there. We'll check that one later in the French. One's hostile to the man shall be those of his own house. Of course, that's Micah 7 verse 6. The one loving father or mother more than me, well, he's not worthy of me. And the one loving son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And who does not take up his staff and walk in my ways is in fact... Not worthy of me. So Yahusha here is telling us that he does draw a sword within marriages and he does draw a sword within families and when those when does this happen that's the question it's usually when those not yet called aren't willing to accept the changes in the individual or the corporate that actually is being or has been called that is when the sword is drawn within the family One part of the family is being called or has been called and drawn and another within the family is like not called, not being drawn and there's the disparity and that's the sword and it's a sword that is apparent to everybody within the mix. And it's tough because the individual or corporate family being called begins to see that he or she must change. They've got to change certain areas within their life. They learn to refrain maybe from eating unclean foods. They learn to keep the Sabbath and start to keep the feasts and festivals of Yahuwah and to obey Yahuwah's financial laws and not to celebrate pagan holidays and so forth and so on. But those that do such a thing then bring forth this disparity within the family because these sweeping and sudden alterations in the called's life cause family members to what? Start to become resentful. They start to become resent even fiercely hostile with the person or family that Yahweh's calling. They find that they can't accept their refusing to celebrate Christmas with them as they may have done for decades in the past. Or maybe they're unable to tolerate them not being available for family outings and sports on Saturdays. What do you mean you're not going to go to my kids' soccer game on Saturday? What do you mean you're not going to come to the basketball game on Saturday? What do you mean you're not going to be involved in the church car wash on Saturday? And all of a sudden, there's a disparity and a sword in the mix. And you're like, well, how did this happen? They may grow, in fact, to despise the new person that the family or the called is becoming. I didn't marry into this. It was all good when we got going. I didn't sign up for this. You changed. You all change. I'm still the same. I didn't sign up for this. There's the sword. And it gets broader and broader each and every Shabbat and each and every mealtime. Does it not? Does it not? This is how Yahusha brings the sword to families because these are the situations that bring division, resentment, Hostility, sometimes even separation when one person or family line is called to obey Yahweh, while others are not called. And there has to be acceptance on both parts, does there not? There has to be acceptance on both parts. And Yahushua doesn't intentionally divide families. Rather, division is a byproduct of a person being called into the Israel of Elohim rather than church denominational doctrine. It's the calling of the Israel of Elohim that brings the sword. Because you can pretty much get along with everybody and still go to church on Sunday. But you, you know, you're like, wow. the Bible says this is a narrow road. And I'm like, this is pretty good. I remember when I was at Calvary Chapel, I'd show up, you know, five, six hundred people and they're banging out some heavy metal worship, you know. I'm like, this is is great. This is great. Wow. I'm liking this. I'm just coming off a hangover and this is great. (laughs) I mean, I'm being real now it's like no way you're not getting away with any of that with the righteous people are sniffing you out the door (laughs) but that's the way it has to be if we are called and the elect But there's also appears to be disparity between Yahusha's own words. One minute he's saying he's bringing a sword. And then the next minute he's saying, oh, well, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of... Well, which is it? Make your mind up. What's going on? Well, peacemaking seeks to avoid conflict, does it not? Peacemakers seek to avoid conflict. They are, in fact, the grey man, John. They're the grey man. Peacemakers, excuse me, they seek to resolve conflict. The peacemaker is the breaker in the breach that seems to separate two warring parties from one another the peacemaker labors to transform warring parties into allies and the proverb says when a man's ways are pleasing to yahuwah he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him proverbs 16 verse 7 now that's a talent that is an honorable talent above all things if you can turn an enemy into a friend wow that's power that's transformative that takes maturity that takes maturity now the irony to 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 the saved of course is the redeemed is this that we must leave room for yahuwah's wrath why precisely because we received his mercy we must leave room for Yahweh's wrath because we received his mercy. What good is it for me taking vengeance upon mine enemies when Yahweh gave me mercy? Because of that, I have to leave room for his wrath and not my kidnap van <laughs> and my waterboarding dreams. Of what I want to do to my enemies with a black hood and duct tape. I've played it out. I have played it out so many times. You're in it. You're assisting. No, you are assisting me. You are the driver. (laughs) And you too? You're in it too. It's the four of us on a road trip. (laughs) I don't need to buy a van. I've got friends with vans, and you know who you are. You're in it too. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Let's get back into the text. That's always a good spot when I go mad. Verse 20, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you shall heap coals of fire upon his head. And be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's it. Because Yahweh is really the caretaker of our garden, He's the caretaker of our hearts. That's why He says, give. That's why he says forgive. That's why he says don't take vengeance upon somebody because he's trying to grow our garden. And at the end of the day, if we're selfish, if we're hoarders, and if we take vengeance and try to execute wrath on our own justice, we end up with a messed up, bitter heart and we won't get any sleep. But if we just give it up, give it away, he brings in the healing. And that is ultimately what he wants to do with all of us, is bring in that healing. And I think of all the things I've gone through in my life and where I could be bitter, and I am not bitter, only because of the Father being able to just pray for people and release them unto Yahweh, and then it's out of my hands and I can move on. And I'm no longer affected because I released it. That's the gospel because it's the renewing of the mind, which changes my heart and therefore I live out a whole new walk. But in the context of this section of the letter what is really happening is Paul is addressing the problem with the rising tensions in Judea between the Roman legions and the Jewish zealots. Because the Jewish zealots are now starting to scarper from Jerusalem and they're starting to come down into the communities in exile. Rome being one of them because some of those zealots were in fact leaving jerusalem judea and going to strike out vengeance within the very heart of the empire themselves it's like they were taking a zealot mission off to rome to target the very leaders of the roman armies And Paul is coming across these believers and trying to now bring peace and be a peacemaker to these parties that are ending up coming to his place or the congregations on Shabbat. So now, this is a short section, but I want to give us a few tools or some arrows in our quiver and finish up here of 18 arrows on how to overcome Because we want to be overcomers, and we want to place these 18 arrows in our quiver. So number one, overcome, of course, it says we are to not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome, of course, is the Greek word nikeo, meaning to be mightily prevailing over something. Or to master or to be victorious. And we have a choice in every situation to either be a victor or to be vanquished, don't we? In every situation. Too many of us are failing to experience consistent victory in our lives because we are not dealing with anger we're not dealing with fear we're not dealing with our self-centered responses to adversity and if we don't deal with those things we'll never be victorious so we've got to overcome number two We have to overcome with praises to Yahuwah. It says in Romans 8 verse 37 that you are already a conqueror through Moshiach, Messiah who loves you. Number three, overshadow any opposition with Yahuwah's mighty power. In Luke chapter 1, it says this, Then the angel, the Malak, said to Miriam, The Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you like a shining cloud, and so the Holy Offspring will be born of you. We've got to overshadow opposition with the power of the Holy Spirit. Number four. We've got to overlook other people's faults. Right? It's so easy to be nitpicking, isn't it? Taking the plank out of other people's eyes, or or specks, I should say, when you've got a whopping big plank in your own. Look at Proverbs 19.11. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is his glory to overlook an offense. It is. It's his glory to overlook an offense. Number five, we have to overflow with love, overflow with hope, with joy, with faith. The Greek word here is hyperperesio, which means to abound more exceedingly. To overflow means to extend beyond the borders, to extend beyond the limits, or to burst over the brim of a vessel. David wrote, my cup overfloweth. That's what we want, right? We want that. Number six, we have to overpower with Moshiach's Messiah's mighty power working in and through you individually. I can do all things Yahweh asked me to do through Moshiach, who strengthens me, right? And of course, then number seven, we have to overrule with the power of the Holy Spirit in presence, in power and perspective yahusha said this he said in the world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer as i have overcome the world i will send to you another comforter who will be with you you see sa dwells in the arena of magnification and imagery That's where Satan dwells. He's always magnifying your problems, imaging it, imaging it, imaging it at you. And you believe that it's so hopeless, so hopeless. But we have to realize that we have the equipment through his word, through his Holy Spirit to overcome. Number eight, because of that, do not over inflate negative pressures. Don't magnify something and say, oh, it's so bad. So don't overinflate negative pressures. And number nine, don't overreact to your own problems. I've seen so many people overreact to their problems. And, I, you know, I've been right there in the fire with you all. And sometimes you're like, oh, but if you just step back, get into the word, just start having this pouring all over you and start praying, you're like, okay, I can handle it in him who strengthens me. But at the time, you're all up in the mix of it. You've got to step back, go away to a quiet place, get in the word and get in prayer, and then come back to the problem. And everything will seem wholly different because Satan lives in the realm of magnification and imagery. So do not overinflate your difficulties is in the 10th arrow in your quiver. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 3, no temptation that has taken you but such as is common to man. This is, this is unreal. This has never happened to anyone but me. <laughs> Can't believe those dirty scoundrels. Where's that? kidnap van again (laughs) and then i'm like go back and it's like oh no 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 this is not this is common to man this is common to man but elohim will not allow you to be tempted matthew beyond what you are able with each temptation he will provide a way of escape so you will be able to bear it the 11th arrow in our quiver Do not go overboard by showing extreme fear or extreme intimidation or anger when the enemy approaches at your door because greater is he who is in us than who is in the world. Amen? The 12th arrow. Don't be overwhelmed with what you're up against. In this world, everything seems so overwhelming, doesn't it? But don't be overwhelmed when you're up against things. John says, whatever is born of Elohim is victorious over the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that is victorious over the world and who conquers the world? But he who believes that Yahushua is the son of Elohim, who trusts and adheres and relies on that fact. I mean, terrible thing happened this week with the tower burning in England, in London. And so many of these people, hopeless, without faith, and I know what that community in that area is, it's so overwhelmingly depressing. There's a lot of poverty and a lot of migrants coming in, and I'm thinking, you know, these people had no hope if they were unbelievers, which the majority are in in the UK Because we've just, you know, given up the faith, it seems. Not all, but, you know, just we've got these old, magnificent buildings that are empty. Because it's not how it once used to be in Europe. And these people, you know, dying in this situation. Yet for us, to be in a parallel situation would be tragedy. But not really. Because at the cost of all things, we have what? What? Yahusha, who is with us so death where is thy sting at the end of the day we're in a whole different realm because our this world is not our hope if our life is cut short then it's really we're brought into glory quicker so it's a whole different thinking it's a whole different life and a situation like that as sad as it is it is so sad for those who have no faith but those who have faith then it's a whole different equation, is it not? We truly are a different, different species because we're transformed. Transformed from the in, out. So now we see the 13th arrow in the quiver, finishing up here, is do not be overly critical of evil people. This one's a hard one for me. It really is. It's a hard one. Because Yaakov says in the fourth chapter, James, verse 2, Yahuwah is the one who opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Submit to Yahuwah. Resist Satan and he will flee from you. So I have to be careful not to be overly critical of evil people when I am surrounded by iniquity. And it's really hard for me. But I have to remember where I came from. The 14th arrow. Do not overemphasize hardship. You remember those wilderness murmurings? We had fish and onions and leeks and garlic. This really is some bad stuff. You've got to be careful. Overemphasizing. Overemphasizing hardship. That's the spirit of the Israelites in the wilderness. Next thing you know, you'll be back at Pharaoh's court back doing the happy clappy in church on sunday right yeah. and we've seen it got to be careful not i mean there's nothing wrong with a bit of happy clappy on sunday but you don't want to start going backwards because of the hardships you encounter as you pursue Yahweh in the righteous faith right That doesn't mean you can't go in and meet your brethren where they're at because our walk is a staircase, is it not? It's Yaakov's ladder. And just because I'm on this rung and I used to be on that rung doesn't mean I'm going to cut the rung out from below me and not give the... (laughs) No, we're going to give a person a hand up because there's somebody helping me up too. That's the truth. We're to link arms as we go on upward with Jacob, our father. The 15th arrow in the quiver. What's that noise? Do you hear that? I do. I bet it's my new microphone. Feedback? No? It's all in my imagination. It's not. It's these oh, things. Savan. <laughs> I'd carry on. I'm okay to carry on in there? Give me a thumbs up. I'm thumbs up. Okay, all right, fellas. All right, the 14th, uh, the 15th thing is do not demand to understand why bad things happen to and good people. That's a tough one, isn't it? And the the heathen, they don't get that. How could a just, righteous, holy God let that poor little boy in India starve? But do you know what temple he was praying in in the morning? I mean, we only see a little bit. But that's a really hard thing. for. Well, if there's a just God, then how can there be children starving in Africa? You know, and you're like, really? Is that simple for you? No, because... The secret things belong to Yahweh our Elohim. We don't know it all. Do we trust that the secret things belong to Yahweh, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law? Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. We have to understand that the secret things belong to Yahweh, and he reveals them to his saints. Those of you that don't believe, you're not going to know those things the 7th 16th arrow in our quiver do not dwell on the negative the negative nancy's first thessalonians 5 16 we're to rejoice always pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks for this is the will of elohim in messiah Yahusha concerning you and just giving thanks and rejoicing it changes your mindset It totally changes your situation and your whole paradigm. Number 17, don't hesitate to go out and be aggressive. Take the offensive. Think about Joshua and Caleb. They didn't wait around. They went up at once, and they took the offensive. They took the land. Look at David, what he said to, to Goliath. He came up at once, and he said, You come against me with a sword. You come against me with a spear and a javelin. But I, I come against you in the name of Yahuwah's Savolt, the Elohim and the armies of Israel, whom you defiled. So don't be scared to take the offensive in your life. There's too much timidity. And finally, be overjoyed in Yahweh. I mean, let's be overjoyed in Yahweh. Rejoice in Yahweh always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter four, verse 14. Trust in Yahweh and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate its fullness. Delight yourself in Yahuwah and he will give you the desires of your heart. Trust also in him and he will bring, bring things to pass. Commit your way to Yahuwah and if you commit your way to Yahuwah, he will do it. So right here, Closing chapter 12, it really is a part of the letter of admonishing community, coming-togetherness, going out and bringing those lost sheep in, not going back to where you once came to, from like a dog returning to its vomit, but understanding that there was some disparity within the community in Rome, but Paul is addressing it and he's saying, it's not about you. It's not even about your family that your gypsy travelers came down from Jerusalem. It's about the bigger community at large. And sometimes a sword's going to come into your family because your family's being called, but maybe the in-law isn't. Right? I'm sure that's a translation error where it says the father-in-law. I think it's got to be the mother-in-law. But, you know, even in my family, my mother-in-law came to Sukkot last year and she's planning on coming this year. And that, to me, is exciting. Exciting gain. So, it's encouraging. This was a little lighter note today because I'm going to hit you hard (laughs) when we go into Romans chapter 13. So, Abba, we thank you. We praise your holy name for your word, for your people, and for the community of the saints, Abba, in Yahushua's mighty, mighty name. Amen.